0: My name is Lynn. Nice to meet you. Please make yourself comfortable. Thank you all for coming today. And now that the Russian lesson is over, I'd like to tell you a story. I was a very radical and very self-righteous environmentalist in the 1990s. I was a crew member on the Greenpeace ship Rainbow Warrior. I locked arms in many a blockade to protect old growth forests. And I was a very vocal PETA member. As far as honoring the planet, walking my talk, and loving all living beings, I had it down. But my environmentalism was very intellectual. It was judgmental, and it was angry. And it wasn't until I viscerally came to know that the taking of a life can be just as sacred, as the protection and the preservation of life that I truly embraced compassion in my activism. Mongolia was not my destination of choice. I wanted to go to Tibet. All the cool people went to Tibet, I wanted to go to Tibet. (laughs) But the Chinese government was not letting any women who were attending the United Nations Conference on Women in Beijing. They were not letting them into Tibet. So I settled for a side trip to Mongolia. I could get a visa there. So I worked with a friend of mine, a Russian, who wanted to start an import-export business in Mongolia to authorize the visa for me. And all I had to do was spend a few days in Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia, and make some business connections for him. That was going to be easy. The best part of it, though, is he was also going to be able to arrange a stay for me for a week with a family in a ger, in a yurt. So I was going to get to stay with a nomadic family. I was going to get to experience firsthand the nomadic lifestyle that I had read about. So I was really, really excited about that. So I flew from Beijing into Ulaanbaatar, fondly known as UB, and I spent three days doing business meetings, um, socializing with the Russian elite that still dominated the country at that time. I saw um, all kinds of monuments, I visited monasteries, I went to museums. And I even had an appointment, I had a visit with the Minister of the Environment for Mongolia. And I presented him with Green Star materials and talked about saving the planet. I was the executive director of that environmental group at the time and it was, it was really a, a wonderful time. I had a great experience, but the best was yet to come because now I was going to get to go and spend a week with the family. So we left late morning out of UB, and we drove down the highway out of the city. Now, when I talk about a highway, it's just a dirt road. I mean, it, their, their highways were not paved. So, We headed out of town. And it's like driving through eastern Oregon or eastern Washington. It's um, pretty desert-like, and there's some scrub brush, a few trees, really interesting rock formations. But there's nothing there. And you're just driving along. There were no strip malls, gas stations, no stores. Occasionally we would stop, we would make a rest stop, and there was always time for a shot of vodka and a cigarette, and then we would drive on. And as we got farther and farther out into the plain, we came across these huge um, herds of animals. So there were mostly sheep, but there were also camels, yaks, and they were always tended by Mongolian men and boys, on their little Mongolian ponies in traditional dress, they all wore dells, and that's my dell hanging up there. So the long Mongolian robes with the mandarin collar and the big sash. So you would pass those, and um, you know, so your excitement is building, and you would drive some more, and then you would run across these huge piles of rocks. Out in the middle of nowhere, huge piles of stone. And on them were placed um, prayer flags and offerings. And those were like wayside chapels. That's where you would stop, you would put a stone on the pile, and you would say a prayer to the spirits of the earth and the sky in that location. So my driver always stopped. And found a stone and put it on the on the pile. They're called O's and um, said a prayer and then we would drive some more. And then we started to see the gers yurts. We call them yurts in this country. And they're the the round lattice wood frames and they're covered by really thick felt in Mongolia and covered then with canvas now. And sometimes you would see uh, like a little satellite dish on the dome top, or you'd see a a solar panel Mm -hmm. for electricity. And it was it was really um, it was really kind of charming. All the doors of the gares are painted like bright orange, like persimmon orange. And so it was you know you'd see these dotted as you as you drove down the road. And we'd been driving for about five hours. I mean, we were pretty much out in the middle of nowhere. And my driver takes a hard right. I didn't see a street sign. I didn't see a road sign. He must have known where he was going. And he just starts taking off. There was no road or anything. We were just driving. And we drove for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And I could see two gears off in the distance, and in broken English, he spoke Mongolian, primarily a little Russian, I knew a little Russian, and he told me that that was my destination, that was the host family. And so, okay, now very excited, but at the same time, you get that apprehension, like, oh shit, (laughs) I am hundreds of miles, from anybody who speaks English. There's no electricity, there's no doctor, there's no nothing. I mean, what was I thinking? But I didn't have any time for misgivings because we were pulling up in a cloud of dust in front of the largest gear. Stops the car, and I get out, and out from the gear comes my host family. And I don't remember their names anymore. But there was a husband and wife couple, and they had two children. They were like seven and five. And there was an older gentleman who was the father of the wife. And they all came out and were standing there, and the driver um, introduces them to me. And so I'm like, my Nyazu Ochen Ochin Briadna. And he gets my backpack from the car and throws it on the ground. says, I'll see you in five days. Dos cadena. And he drives away. <laughs> OK, you know, I, I'm totally down with this. This is going to be good. And so they start going into the gear, I pick up my backpack and I follow them in. And you have to stoop because the doorways are, are low. So I'm stooping through the door. And next to the door is um, a ewe who's tied up there and she's nursing her lamb. And I just, you know, notice that and I walk into the gear. <coughs> Inside the gear is, in the middle of the, the room, is a, just a big black wood-burning stove. <clears throat> and it's used for heating as well as for cooking. And on top of that was this big pan of salty milk tea. That's what you drink like soda pop there. Salty milk tea. Uh, The tea is such poor quality. It's these big bricks. um, And they will break it off and they steep it for a long, long time and then they throw in sheep's milk and a handful of salt. Um, Believe it or not, it's actually really good. You develop a taste for it. Um, So that was simmering there in the middle of the room. And then all around the perimeter, because it's just a communal living space, are these um, brightly painted trunks. And they're piled with blankets, wool blankets, and pillows. So inside the trunks are household goods, clothing, things like that. And all these blankets and pillows on top. So that's where you sleep. And they put my backpack by one. And I knew that, okay, that's where I'm sleeping. And that's my little spot for the week and uh the wife offers me a cup of tea please and we all sat down on the rug that covered the dirt floor and um i was served this steaming cup of salty milk tea and you know thank goodness for my few words of russian spasiva and um we started to get to know one another as best we could as we sipped our tea. Now the husband knew some Russian. Um, no one else spoke anything about Mongolian and I have lost all of my cheat sheets that had Mongolian words and um, but we we talked and we smiled a lot <laughs> you know you you nod and you make gestures and I I Presented the gifts that I had brought for everyone. And I um, showed them pictures of my family and my home in Alaska. And um, we kind of got to know one another. And then it was time they were going to prepare dinner. So I took that um, as an opportunity to go and go outside and kind of check out the encampment. And um, it was dusk. And so I walked out the gear and, you know, scratched the head of the ewe standing there and walked out about 100 yards and just turned around. And it's so quiet there. I mean, there was, you know, I mean, you heard the animals, but there was nothing else. And there were thousands and thousands of stars. And they were tethering the horses and milking some sheep and you could see the smoke out of the little pipe at the top of the gear. And it was just the most amazing, serene, lovely scene. And every night was pretty much the same. We would, um, after the day's activities, we would share a meal. And for the most part, we ate a lot of mutton. Um, Mutton stew, mutton soup mutton with dumplings, mutton with rice. Um, sometimes we had cheese, and we, sometimes we would have beer, or we would drink um, fermented mare's milk, a bar. It's like drinking brie. Um, very, very fragrant. Not a whole lot of alcohol content, but, you know, interesting beverage. <laughs> um, and sometimes if we were really lucky, we would get these little Russian chocolate bars for dessert. And um, then we would clean up. We'd heat water right there where we cooked. And we would um, clean up. And then we would all sit down um, on the rug there in the gear And the grandfather would tell stories. Now we only spoke on bold, but as the nights went by I could pick up some words and I could tell by the gestures and the expressions of the people there in the room kind of what the gist of the story was. Yeah. And it was really it was really amazing to be able to be there and to share that. And um, that's, that's what happened every night. Then the lanterns would be turned out and we would all dive under these piles of wool blankets to go sleep. And it's something I will never forget, the scent of wool and the smell of sheep. I mean, you are surrounded by that. The, the walls of the gear that pressed felt that they make, is so full of, um, like, raw lanolin that your fingers get oily. So, I mean, you just smell that. The blankets are wool, the pillows are wool, the rugs are wool, and there's hundreds of sheep outside. So you just (laughs) smell, that's what you smell. And even now when it's winter and I'm wearing one of my wool sweaters and it gets wet, it's like I'm instantly transported back to Mongolia. Now, the days were pretty much the same too. They were just everyday life. I would collect dried dung and uh, wood for the fire. I learned to make kefir and cheese and dumplings. Um, I would help with the laundry. I was given boots to wear and a doll. And because I was a guest and a westerner, I was allowed to go out um, with the men when they herded the sheep and they took the sheep out it's not women usually don't have time to do that but because i was a guest i was allowed to do that for a few days and that was just amazing as well you got to ride those little mongolian ponies they're not very tall and the um the saddles are very stiff um, but you'd ride along you know and there you were in the middle of nowhere i mean just you had all kinds of time to think and it was just vast and beautiful. I mean, the, that country is just amazing. And it's actually heartbreaking now to know that it's been so devastated by um, the, the environment and the weather there now. Um, but anyway, it was beautiful and really remarkable at the time. So the night, uh, the morning before I was going to leave, was kind of just the same as it always was. And the father, the husband, came up to talk, to talk to me. Now, he could speak to me more than anyone because he knew more Russian. And I knew enough boat Russian at that time that I could understand what he was saying. And he told me that that night, they were going to have like a party for me. Um, they had invited some other families to come and I thought, okay, this is this was awesome. I mean, I was humbled, but at the same time, I'm thinking, all right, it gets these more people. There's going to be good food. There's going to be music. Probably lots of vodka. This is going to be a good <coughs> night. And um, so I went about my morning, and I was coming back with this armload of wood from down near the stream, and the grandfather who we would smile, but. We never really communicated. And he was waving to me. So I put the wood down and I went over to where he was. And he was untying the ewe that had been tethered there by the gear. And I'd gotten to know her. I mean, every time I went in and out, you know, I'd scratch her behind the ears. I talked to her like I would my dogs back home. And, um, he was untying her and tying the lamb up. And he motions me to come with him. And we walked over past the corral a little bit. And we sit down on the ground. And he's got the ewe sitting there, standing there between us. and. He's stroking her coat, and talking to her, and I'm doing the same, and and he is talking to her more, and he pulls her up next to him, and then into his lap, as if he's holding her, he's going to hold her, and she's kind of turned over, and he's rubbing her belly, and talking to her, and he's almost singing, it seems like, into her ear. And I'm sitting there with him, and he turns around, and out of his sash, he pulls his dagger, and he slices open her belly. And she doesn't flinch. He's talking to her, and he's whispering in her ear. And I'm like completely, blown away by this and it's like time stood still she's laying there in his arms he's talking to her and life goes on it was completely surreal I can see the father is taking the herd out riding away on the pony the mother is bathing the children in this big pan over by the gear and I can hear the lamb bleeding. And he takes my hand in his and he slips it inside of her. Now I've killed plenty of fish and a few chickens, but nothing prepared me for this sensation of having my hand inside the warm, wet, belly of a living being. And he moved our hands up and we grasped her heart. And we steadily squeezed and put pressure on her heart. We were pinching off the life flow. And the whole time, he's talking to her, and whispering in her ear. And she is, she doesn't struggle. There's no fear. And her eyes started to close. And I could feel the heart stop beating. And we withdrew our hands. And the tears fell down my cheeks, ran down my cheeks and fell onto the body of this dying youth. And I was completely overcome with the beauty and the sacredness of life. and the presence of God. And he laid her gently down on the ground and deftly cut her throat. And together we prepared and dressed the carcass. And Prepared the meat that was going to be cooked that night in my office.